Hey, everybody. <clears throat> I freely admit that there are people who I don't agree with politically or culturally on faith who are good at their job. I could come up with a bunch of examples. I don't know if that's entirely necessary. In 1993, there was a television program that came on uh, MTV that was um, sort of the comedic antidote to Saturday Night Live called The State. And it was a bunch of really young people doing sketch comedy sketches for really young people, you know, teenagers. If you were around <laughs> way back then, you know, back when MTV played music videos, you might have seen it and uh, you might know what I'm talking about. And there was a cast of characters on there who actually were uh, clearly very funny. One that stood out to me personally as being not that funny was Michael Ian Black. But, as I understand it, he was involved heavily in the creative process and the writing process. And the show was great. So the show went off the air in 95. Um, they will tell you it's because they attempted to switch over to CBS and that transition didn't work out. Um, I think they understandably kind of ran out of material. I think you can, you know, you can, you can run an idea dry. I'm not trying to disparage the state. I thoroughly enjoyed the state. Uh, I mean, I was 13 years old. I'm not telling you it's highbrow comedy that you'll enjoy um, as an adult necessarily, but as a 13 or 14 year old, it's pretty funny. I. Uh, common, like the day after it aired in school, everyone would be talking about like, oh my god, did you see this? Oh my god, did you see that? Um, yeah, so that was that. And then, I don't, I lost track of all those people, and then they came out with, in, um, a couple years later, I don't know, 97 maybe, Viva Variety. And um, it was billed as the people in the state. There was a girl on there who was really funny on the state. And one of the guys I thought was really funny, they were like the stars of Viva Variety. And then Michael Ian Black was also on there. I have to tell you, this, the Viva Variety was terrible. <laughs> um, it was kind of like this mock of a... European variety show and the hosts were the girl from the state and one of the really funny guys from the state. His last name is Lemon. I think he was also in that movie How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I think he was one of the buddies. But nonetheless, uh, Mike Lee and Black played a uh, foreigner. I don't really know. You'd have to see it. It was weird. I think I watched two episodes. Um, my love for the state drove me to it. And then uh, 
Viva Variety drove me away from it. But they were also involved, the same people were involved in Reno 911, which I know was a big hit. Although I think Michael E. Black was not involved in that. Some of the same people. At any rate, I'm not actually trying to disparage the man's career, although I guess I am to some extent. He's gone on to be a book writer. Whatever. Essentially, as far as I can tell from doing a tiny little bit of research, Michael Ian Black is a professional um, progressive leftist on Twitter. It's kind of his job. Um, it's one of those like, oh, he's famous and he's on our side kind of things. Only he's not like super famous, but he's kind of famous. Which is fine. Like, there's a place for that, you know, whatever. There's a market. He's written some books. There's, you know, people buy him, obviously, or they wouldn't have let him write more. There's a marketplace for, uh, for that kind of thing. I guess the point is, like, there's people, like I said, there's people I disagree with on, on a lot of issues who are really good at their jobs. Mike Lee Black's not one of those people, right? He's not super great at his job. Hey, maybe I'm not super great at my job. I'm like, Dennis, you're not that great at your podcast. Okay, fair enough. I just want to put it in the context that the reason I'm saying he's not that great isn't because of his political views. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, you get famous and you get idiots like me and talk shit about you. That's just how it works. So it came out yesterday that Mike Lee and Black is writing a book on masculinity. I'm going to give you some examples of, of why that's the <laughs> one of the funniest things ever. So this podcast started essentially <clears throat> as a response to the, the concept of toxic masculinity. So this pervasive leftist idea that men being men is bad, which clearly is not bad. And Michael Ian Black embraces that idea. So here you have a pseudo-celebrity professional Democrat who's going to write a book that people are going to read. Unfortunately, probably some young boys and men are going to read about what masculinity is. And some of them, unfortunately, are going to believe. It's like the crowd listening to Maxine Waters, right? Most people listen to Maxine Waters and they think, oh my God, she's crazy. And then a small subset of the total population listens to Maxine Waters and thinks, that makes sense. And there's like six morons who are like, let's go burn something. So I'm terrified for the six morons who read Michael Ian Black's book. Who buy into his false narrative about what it is to be a man and what it is to be masculine. Because he's none of those things. Again, which is fine. I don't really care. But... I like Ben Shapiro's uh, response as an Orthodox Jew. His response to the announcement was that he was going to write a book on pork. Because <laughs> he's kosher. doesn't know anything about pork. Mike Lee and Black doesn't know anything about being a man. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of where all this comes from. I've talked before, I don't know, 20 times how important fatherhood is to everything that happens in society. And especially, most importantly, with young men. I personally believe, and I think there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that the um, 
school shooting. I don't want to call it an epidemic. It's not that common, but the few instances of school shootings are caused by fatherlessness. Clearly, poverty is caused by fatherlessness. Crime. Yada yada. So, Michael Ian Black, quite typically for people of his generation, parents divorced when he was three years old. obviously not his fault, but it's a reality. His mother uh, raised the children, I think there were four children, as a single mother, uh, and it was a lesbian, or at least so I read, I don't know her personally. His father lived in another state and didn't see the kids, and I guess Michael has alluded to the fact that the father struggled to pay child support to the mother, and that that made his and his mom and his siblings' financial situation difficult. And then when he was 12, his father died. So he had no father in his life, no male role model figure in his life from 3 to 12. And then after 12, you know, it went from a limited role to literally not having a father, which I feel terrible about. It's not good. I'm not happy about it. It's tragic. Young man's father dies. But what results is cartoonish to me, right? So, like, he becomes this toxic masculinity preacher and rails against men. And then he's going to write a book on masculinity. And the reason he wants to write a book on masculinity is because he wants to redefine what masculinity is to include what he is. So that... This is the crux of the problem with somebody like Michael Ian Black writing a book on masculinity. So he recognizes the fact in the course of his life that he's not masculine. He sees masculine men and feels alienated from them. Because he is alienated from them. And then, rather than accept the fact that, you know, he was raised without a dad and he doesn't really know what it is to be a man, and he feels alienated from men who exhibit masculinity, rather than accept the fact that he's different from what is normal, which is fine, plenty of people are, it's fine, it's not a big deal, but rather than just accept that that's the reality, recognize the value of masculine men in society and how important it is. He wants to redefine what masculinity is to make himself in this new definition, masculine. So not become masculine, not go learn sort of manly skills, not become physically strong, not become a, a force to be reckoned with. I talked about it before. Rather than do any of those things, he would like to just redefine masculinity, sort of redraw the boundary around masculinity to include himself as he is now. It's 
that idea, the idea of saying like, oh, no, 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 I don't like that. I want to change it so I don't have to do anything and I'm in. It's like, there's a lot of, uh, the, the same idea persists in the, in the nebula around religions. So like in the Christian faith, which is one I understand pretty well, um, this idea of living your life like Christ is difficult. To try to emulate perfection is difficult and you're going to fail at it all the time. To continue to refocus yourself and to try is difficult. So there's a bunch of people who are like, no, nah, that's not what it's really about. It's really about this other thing that I'm going to do or that I already do do. It's not about that thing. Or I don't like that part of it. I don't want to do that part. I'm going to do this other thing. So they sort of try to redefine the faith to include the, their own personal preferences. Excuse me. And that's what Michael Ian Black is doing with masculinity. Rather than recognize the fact that he is not falling within it, which he did recognize, I'll get to quotes from him where he talks about the fact that he wasn't, didn't feel masculine. Rather than just accept the fact that it's because he's not masculine. Right? So if you are a self-professed Christian and you get around people who are really committed to their faith and you feel inadequate in your faith, you should say to yourself, man, I'm inadequate in my faith. Not, let's redefine Christianity to include what I'm doing on equal footing to what those people are doing. Because it makes me uncomfortable that they're so good and that they try so hard and they work so hard and they're so focused and so determined. I don't like that. So I want to redefine it so we're all in this together on equal footing. Right? So rather than Michael Ian Black saying to himself, you know what, if I want to feel masculine or I want to feel like a man, I need to do some of these things that men do. He's like, nah, let's just redesign the whole thing. The man actually said, the biological component of what we think of as masculinity is unsettled. <laughs> That's going to be in his book. He's going to write a book on masculinity and tell his audience, like I said, some of whom is going to be young men, because liberals are going to buy this book and give it to their sons to read. Because their sons get picked last at kickball and they feel bad about themselves. And Michael Ian Black's book is going to tell them that it's okay to be terrible at kickball and a bad teammate and not an asset to your community. And you still are should be accepted as a man. So these liberal parents are going to buy this book for their sons and have them read it. And it's going to say things in there like the biological component of what we think of as masculinity is unsettled. No, it's not unsettled. It is the opposite of unsettled. It involves chromosomes and genitalia and testosterone. Broad shoulders, facial hair. <laughs> and, you know, from 15 to 26... Poor decision making. <laughs> Reckless behavior. It's not unsettled, man. It's absurd. It is 100% settled. It's been settled for since we had eyeballs. Oh, not the chromosome part. They didn't know that. Unbelievable. 
I feel like I can just keep repeating myself, but like I said before, the patriarchy exists. The patriarchy, the concept of the patriarchy is that men who are capable of doing harm on, on vulnerable populations or vulnerable members of the population got together and decided that rather than spend all their time trying to defend the people who their responsibility to defend was with, that were vulnerable, and every man doing that all the time, and then having trouble doing it because you also got to get food and whatever, that they would agree to not do what they're physically capable of doing, which is prey upon the vulnerable. And that they would each do their part to defend other people's vulnerable people. So the patriarchy, the idea of the patriarchy is if your wife or your children are being threatened by someone that I would step in and do something about it. That's the whole idea. That's the whole point. I don't believe that every man needs to be Mr. Universe. I don't believe that every man needs to be uh, Tim Kennedy. I don't believe that every man needs to be a boxer or a cage fighter or a lumberjack or whatever. But th there is a certain amount of strength required, physical strength. In order to be, to take your place as a man in the world, you need to be, like I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you need to be a formidable force that people would have to deal with. You need to be a person who, if you said no, other people would recognize the fact that they don't necessarily want to make you do something you just said no to. That they might not physically be able to do it. I don't know how big, how strong that is. Maybe you just need to be strong enough to have the confidence. So maybe you don't need to be strong, maybe you just need to be willing to take a beat. <laughs> All right. Again, a quote from Michael Ian Black. I have no courage and the physical strength of a well-developed gerbil. Self-admitted. Yet I still advocate against guns and for the repeal of the Second Amendment. What he's saying in that statement is, I have no capability of defending myself physically. And yet I'm still against the Second Amendment. The and yet means that he recognizes the farce of that statement. He recognizes how foolish that is. He recognizes that he is a vulnerable member of society. He's not one of the men who got together to decide on how best to protect a group of vulnerable people who had been the responsibility of multiple men. He's not in that group. He's in the vulnerable group. That's the same argument. The end yet is it's the argument you have for a 90-pound woman to carry a firearm. Is that you are not physically capable to fight off a male attacker who will overpower you and there's nothing you can do about it. So you need to have a firearm because it's the only way you're able to defend yourself. So he is saying, I'm in that group. I'm in that vulnerable, weak group, and yet, despite the fact that I need a firearm to defend myself in a physical altercation, I'm against firearms. And then he wants to go write a book on what it is to be masculine, what it is to be a man. 
He's going to tell your sons how to be a man. Fully admitting as a middle-aged man that he's in the vulnerable population with women and children and the physically and mentally handicapped. He's lumped himself in with those people. And then politically, he just says insane things. If you support this president, you're a racist. Quote, if you support this president, you're a racist. Unquote. It's the, it's the dumbest, laziest take possibly in the history of politics. It is perhaps worse, but at least on par with Obama was born in Kenya. It would take moments of research to find out. <laughs> that Obama was weird because he was raised in Indonesia by a Muslim guy and ate dogs not because he was born in Kenya like the place you're born is not really actually relevant to becoming the human being that you are like if you had been born like your dad was in the Air Force and you were born in Kazakhstan which I don't think they let families go there but whatever Let's just say, your dad's in the Air Force, you're born in Kazakhstan, and then he he, re he retires and is a plumber, and you're raised in uh, Kentucky, and your dad's a hard-working blue-collar guy and takes care of his family and his property or whatever. The fact that you were born in Kazakhstan and lived there until you were six months old isn't really relevant. <laughs> really relevant. So the reason Obama seemed weird is because he was essentially was Indonesian. Not because he was born in Indonesia, because I think he wasn't, but because he was raised there by an Indonesian guy. So that's 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 what he knows. That's what he's comfortable with. Indonesia. He was raised there his whole life. It's a different culture. So, Mike Lee and Black's Second Amendment anti-gun thing stems from school shootings. Um, and he came out with this statement that boy, <clears throat> that boys are broken. Yes, yes, Michael, boys are broken. You're right. You're a hundred percent right. They're not in the Boy Scouts anymore. They're not outside. They don't know how to ride horses. They don't know how to tie a knot. They don't know how to shoot a gun. They don't know how to clean an animal. They don't know how to fish. They don't know how to fight. They don't know how to, they're not good at baseball. They play video games. And they yell at their mother. You're 100% right, boys are broken. It's because they have no dad. Ah, yeah. But no. Michael says, boys are broken. Which means there is something going on with American men that is giving them the permission and the space to commit violence. <laughs> um, but what the hell does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? They don't have permission to commit violence space to commit violence? You mean you want to put kids in cages? Less space? No space for kids. Put them all in cages. I thought you guys were against kids in cages. 
that Obama did to those poor kids at the border. Putting kids in cages. Obama's a monster. What the hell are you talking about? There's a, boys are broken. They have permission in space to commit violence. Okay, try it. Go commit some violence and see what happens. Nobody has permission to commit violence. Commit violence, you go to jail. That's how it works. In space. We're a free country. Everyone has space to do whatever the hell they want. Thank God. So then he goes on another quote. Quote, the main thing we focus on is guns and mental health, which I disagree. Okay, unquote. I disagree. We're not focused at all on mental health, only on guns. The left only wants to talk about guns, 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 guns. Nobody in the left wants to talk about fatherlessness and antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication. Nobody. You bring up either one of those things to the left, when you're talking about school shooters, you'll get a yeah, but. Yeah, but. Can't fix that. We'll have to repeal the Second Amendment. Come take all your guns. What? Can't we just encourage men to not leave their sons? Can't we just stop incentivizing women to not stay with the fathers of their children through the welfare system? Can we just not make it so easy to get divorced? No? None of those things? Nothing? All right. So back to the quote. The main thing we focus on is guns and mental health. But deeper than that, there is a crisis in masculinity. Yes! There is a crisis in masculinity. Because there isn't any. Because people like you, Michael, keep going around telling men not to be men. The crisis in masculinity is fatherlessness. The thing that's missing from the discussion about masculinity is you can sit down and try to define what it is in the sense of strength and skills and blah, 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 whatever. Okay. At the end of the day, masculinity is about selflessness. Being a man is about not focusing on yourself, but instead focusing on your responsibilities. The storybook examples, the cinematic examples of masculinity, of men being men we admire. And this is not a old-timey idea or a new idea. or a, This is a deep-to-your-core idea. There's a universal archetype for men we admire. You watch a movie, and there'll be a man in a movie you admire. 100% of the time, the thing that he's doing that is makes him so admirable to all, to men, to children, to little beta sissy soy boy comedians like Michael Ian Black, to women, the thing that makes him so admired is that he's willing to give himself for the vulnerable. Period. That's the universal. There was a video on Facebook or somewhere the other day I saw it on Twitter of a guy who was a former 
uh, United States military, a veteran, was working in some sort of aid group, and there was a boy or a child trapped, pinned down in a firefight with, between ISIS and somebody else. And there's three men behind the tank, and one of them, this veteran, puts on a helmet, a combat helmet, and he's talking to them. You can't really hear what they're saying. And then he says, okay, and they go, are you ready? And he goes, okay, and he says, go. And the two guys go out and start giving cover fire, which means they're shooting at the enemy. While he runs out through an open field, grabs a kid, picks the kid up, and runs back. It's a moving thing. I mean, it's a moving thing to see. The man who did it didn't know that per that child. It wasn't his child. He didn't know that kid. Just a kid in danger. He's gonna go risk his life. He's a hero. Everyone watching is like, man, that guy's amazing. Women want to marry him. Men want to be him. That's it. That's the universal archetype. Selflessness. Being willing to give yourself wholly for the protection of others. That's Jesus. You get it? I don't think Jesus was a big, strong muscle man. But he was firm in his convictions. He said no and meant it. And the end of the day, was willing to give his life for you. There you go. It's pretty freaking simple. We learn this stuff from our father by watching over a lifetime. You watch your father over a lifetime and you will see, in most cases, unless you have a crappy dad, that he makes sacrifices for others. He does things he doesn't want to do for other people. He doesn't spend his time and his money on himself. He spends his time and his money on his wife and his children and his family and his home. And he spends his time fixing things that are broken. That's not what he wants to do. He spends his time preparing for the future. He spends his time raising his children. You watch over a lifetime. I don't care how manly, manly your father was, but if you have a father and you watch him over a lifetime, you will see these things. And it makes a lasting impact on you as a person, especially as a male child. You grow up learning the idea that you make sacrifices as a man. When I hear men talk about their own personal happiness, I throw up in my mouth. Well, yeah, I divorced my wife and I left her and the children and the uh, children are now going to grow up with uh, a no dad. And uh, But I will see them every other weekend and I did that because I wasn't happy. Die. You're a man. You're not supposed to be happy. Happy is, happiness is moments. There are moments of happiness in life. Life as a man is not happiness. That's not what it is. Or if you want that life, you know, it's a free country. Don't have kids. Your responsibilities are more important than you. Than how you feel about it. Getting off your ass and going to work and taking care of your kids and raising them is more important. All those things, more important than whether or not you're happy. 
Who the heck has time to even think about whether or not they're happy? I don't have time to think about whether or not I'm happy. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't remember. I wasn't even raised like back in the really, really tough days. I was raised in the 80s, early 90s. Nobody ever asked how you feel. How do you feel about it? Nobody asked me that. I think I was 20, 21, 22 years old before anybody ever asked me how I felt about something. <laughs> it's because how you feel about it doesn't matter. Who the hell cares how you feel about it? It's not a, con it's not a conversation. Now, if you feel clinically de depressed, if you're having thoughts of suicide, that matters. I don't want, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants you to be, how you feel? <laughs> Who cares? Get up and go to work. Have a family and take care of them. You'll be fine. In the end, you'll be happy. Delayed gratification. <laughs> so Michael Ian Black is talking about how's the crisis of masculinity. So his crisis of masculinity is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fatherlessness, breeding sons with no fathers and with no role models of what it is to be a man and growing up and, not, and being shitty men. Michael's talking about something very, very different. He goes on to talk about how he never felt comfortable in his own skin as a man. So like I talked about before, he looked around at masculine men, recognized he was an outlier, that he was not one of their number, and felt uncomfortable. Now, some bad feelings you have are good because they spur action. So if you are an underdeveloped young man and you walk up to a girl and you ask her out because she's very pretty and she tells you no, and then you see her the next day walking holding hands with a, the captain of the football team, it makes you feel bad about yourself. Okay. Now, what should happen next isn't that you hate football players or try to redefine masculinity to include yourself. What should happen next is you should be like, man, I should go do some push-ups. I should make myself better. <laughs> so the negative feeling, the bad feeling is like, oh, I need to be better. Stand-up comedians talk about this. And they got early on, they bomb. They have the hacky material. They're not developed yet and they don't do well. And the ones that make it are the ones that take that moment and go, oh, I need to be better at this. I need to work harder at it. And the ones that don't are people like, I don't like getting, not getting laughs. I quit. Or what's wrong with that audience? I'm funny. Whatever. You have to be able to look at yourself and realize where you are not doing well. So Michael talks about being around men and feeling uncomfortable. And then he goes on to compare being uncomfortable with being a man for himself, he equates with being a trans person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause for a second so you think about that. So he's a man who identifies as a man and he feels so alienated from that, the closest thing he can think of to be an analogy for what that's like for him is a person who was born as a man but actually thinks they're a woman. Feels like a woman. That's how far away he feels from men. <laughs> and he talks about how, how trying to act like a man 
made him feel like a trans person. Like, like a trans person trying to act like a man when they really are a woman inside is like Michael trying to act like a man when really he's Michael inside. <laughs> and he's going to write a book about masculinity for your children to read. You liberals are going to give this to your kids and be like, hey, check this out. This guy's going to write a book about masculinity and how it's toxic to be a masculine person. Oh, God. For Michael trying to act like a man, and this is a quote, is felt like not living in my own skin. Do I have to write a book on... I don't... Do I have to write a book on masculinity? Like, I don't want to. Tim Kennedy should write a book on masculinity. But he shouldn't call it a book on masculinity. He should call it a book on Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy should write a book like, hey, here's the stuff I did to become me. <laughs> and here's the things that happened that I think best contributed to my development into becoming a cage fighter slash warrior slash motivational guy slash happy person and you can do it too that should be the book <laughs> although it's so not complicated it might be a pamphlet I think he's done it in a tweet in like 200, 280 character tweet oh my god please god do not buy listen all you liberals that listen to the podcast, all two of you, do not buy Michael Ian Black's stupid book on how being a man includes people who aren't men. And never mentions the idea of fatherhood being important for male children. Stop worrying about your feelings and how you feel, man. Go go out today. Do something today to make yourself better. I don't care if you are Tim Kennedy. The scale is Tim Kennedy to Michael Ian Black. That's the scale of masculinity. And wherever you are on the scale, do something today to make yourself better. Put yourself in a position to improve your life, the life of your family. Take the first step towards learning a new skill or becoming stronger. Do something today to improve yourself. And don't worry about how you feel. Listen, I hope you all have a fantastic day. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Share this one with a friend. For crying out loud, we need to get this message out. I love y'all. Talk to you tomorrow.